hey everybody and welcome to the coffee house questions podcast i am back at recording uh it's taken a little bit longer into the month of january before i could get back into the swing of recording and hopefully writing a little bit more um this last semester i took a interterm class at biola university which means that it is a three-month-long class pretty much crammed down into three weeks. And so that started on January 3rd. I just finished it this last Wednesday on the 25th of January. And so for the last uh, three weeks, most of my time, uh, if I was not teaching, was spent working on that class. And so I wasn't able to get as many recordings done. Uh, But if you did hear it on the 10th or the 11th of January... I had the chance of interviewing Greg Kokel, the president of Stand to Reason, on his new book, The Story of Reality, How the World Began, How It Ends, and Everything Important That Happens in Between. And I want to just encourage you that if you have not listened to that two-part interview, we spent a whole hour together discussing the book and ways that we can learn the story of Christianity and then tactically speak about that story with everyone around us. So I would just want to encourage you to go back and listen to those. It is great. And get yourself a copy of the book. I have already heard from multiple people that after listening, went out, got the book, and have either already finished reading it or are loving it. And so it is a fantastic work uh, that Greg Kokel has put together. And I just want to encourage you, go back and listen to those interviews and check out that amazing resource Uh, that Stand to Reason has put out and that Greg has with them. And so uh, I had such an awesome time talking with him, and it was such a privilege and an honor uh, as someone that I really look up to. And so that was a lot of fun for me. And so that was my one interview that I did in January. Um, I'm looking forward to some really fun interviews uh, coming up in the the following months. And as they get closer, I'll probably be telling you a little bit more about that. But again, like I said, a lot of this time recently has been spent on this class. And and that is what I want to talk about uh, today. So the class that I took uh, was a class from Talbot Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. And it was a class called uh, Apologetics in Church and Society, or just Church and Society. And what this class was, it, it was pretty much a cultural uh, ethics class. Uh, the professor was Dr. Scott Ray, one of the top Christian ethicists uh, in the United States, has written some incredible works uh, on how to do Christian ethics, one uh, which is one of our textbooks called Moral Choices, um, another one he wrote called Doing the Right Thing. And uh, just he has done some amazing work. And most of the time when you listen to people uh, speaking on the topic of Christian ethics, uh, they're using his information or referring to uh, him as a a great resource. And so um, I have been wanting to take a class with him, and I had that opportunity. And so we spent three weeks. We had a different topic every day for three weeks. And um, it was very uh, encouraging. Uh, it was very. It was a huge learning experience, thinking through issues that I have thought a lot about, others that I haven't thought about, and then even finding new ways of thinking about some of the things that um, I have thought about in the past. Uh, but what was, I think, most encouraging, but then also a little bit um, 
worrying is that these things in general maybe are not talked about within Christianity. There is so much of of what happens in Christianity that we we don't talk about. There, there's so much that we talk about at church that is very important. But there's also so much that happens within our daily lives, things that are going on around us that we just don't talk about. And so I'm excited that uh, here in the next couple of weeks, I'll be having a discussion uh, with my roommate, actually, on uh, one of the topics, our first discussion from this class on the secularization and privatization of faith. And, and, and what we're going to be discussing and talking about is, is this idea of the United States becoming a more secular society. That, and that means that the church is, is losing its authority. And one possible explanation is that is the privatization of Christian faith or that our faith is becoming more of a private thing that we do in our private lives uh, within the walls of the church and it doesn't get out as as much as maybe it should. And and now I, I want to be careful because I think there there are a lot of churches doing great work, and there are a lot of churches that are trying to encourage their people to get out there and talk. However, I think it's possible that when we don't train the people within the church, when we don't prepare them to discuss what I think are huge cultural issues then either we approach it maybe in the wrong way, we don't use the right tactics, or we it's possible that we are scared to talk about these issues because what if someone raises an objection? And we've talked about this before, that, that learning these things uh, gives confidence. And so that's one of the things that we're gonna that we are going to be discussing here in a couple of weeks or maybe next week is the secularization of our culture, the privatization of faith, and then how is it that Christians can can respond and 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 make a difference in the culture around us. Some of the other discussions that we we went over in this class were different types of moral uh, reasoning. Uh, Christian ethics, the Bible, and social change. How should we go about trying to make change from a Christian perspective in our society? Uh, and then we got into um, ethical and bioethical issues like abortion, stem cell research, um, death, dying, and physician-assisted suicide. That is a huge one. Uh, my home state of Colorado just legalized physician-assisted suicide uh, this last election, uh, and it was legalized now where I live in California this last summer. And so this is something that is becoming legalized uh, in different states, uh, and and Christians need to know how to respond. Uh, is physician-assisted suicide right? You know, and I re- I remember I was in Colorado last summer at a an event in my hometown. I was walking around uh, at this outdoor kind of farmers market type event, and someone came up to me and said, uh, "Do you want to sign this petition to get?" you know, death with dignity on the ballot, to allow people to end their lives in peace. And that sounds very good, right? We want people to be able to die in peace. We don't like this idea of people suffering because that is personal and that hurts, especially if it is with a loved one. And we don't like that idea. But that doesn't mean that we just jump to these conclusions without giving these things critical thought. And so one of the topics that we talked about was physician-assisted suicide, death, and dying. How do we as Christians think about this? And what are some ways that we can we can discuss it with people? Uh, we also talked about infertility, reproductive technology. 
um, genetics and biotechnology and gene mapping. Uh, and then we got into things like the capital punishment and the death penalty, morality of war, sexual ethics, economics, greed, and then the theology of work. And so those were all the different topics that we had. And um, they were, I think, very encouraging, but also very learning. It's just like, wow, we don't talk about this, I think, enough. And so here's what I want to do is I, I want to give a brief kind of 20-minute overview. That's what we have left. Uh, introduction to these topics. But I'm also excited to say that when this class was over, uh, my professor, Dr. Scott Ray, he agreed uh, to come on to this show, Coffee House Questions, and discuss some of these topics more in depth. And so what I want to tell you is that if you have questions, if you uh, are have thought about any of these issues, what, whichever one it is that I mentioned, whether it's um, how can Christians respond in culture to abortion, stem cell research, assisted suicide, biotechnology, uh, reproductive technology, death penalty, sexual ethics, whatever it may be. Um, I would encourage you to write in your questions. Either you can send in your emails at contact at coffeehousequestions.com. You can go to the Coffee House Questions Facebook page. Just type in Coffee House Questions in the search bar, and it should come up there. And then uh, you can also send me messages through Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is RyanPolly3. And then the last option is that you can text in your questions to the Google Voice number at 714-989-6927. And so with that, I, I just want to encourage you that uh, if you listen to this, if there are questions that you have had about these ethical issues, whether it's bioethics or social ethics, to write in your questions. And I, I, my goal is that to, I'm going to compile a list of questions from you, the listeners, that then I will be able to present to Dr. Scott Ray and have him discuss them with us. And so uh, that's what I would like to do. But, but for the last 20 minutes... Um, I kind of want to do a brief introduction because right now in our society, uh, there's a lot of change happening with uh, the um, swearing in of President Trump and the marches and all these sort of things that are happening. And I wanted to get this recorded last week and I just couldn't get it done. Uh, but last Sunday uh, on, uh, I believe it was the 21st was last Sunday or the 22nd, was Sanctity of Life Sunday. And I think that that is the foundation in which we have to start uh, discussing these so, these cultural and ethical issues. Um, it was about oh about two or three weeks ago, I saw a post on Facebook. Someone you know was sharing a, a meme or whatever, and and it, and it talked about how Christians are um, hypocritical when it comes to this idea of sanctity of life, because the post was saying, hey, you're pro-life when it comes to abortion, but you're not pro-life when it comes to a born child or a living human being. And what it was hinting at is that when it comes to death penalty, hey, you support the death penalty. When it comes to morality of war, hey, you support the morality of war. When it comes to refugees, oh no, Christians, no, you don't want to let in refugees. Uh, when it comes to adoptions and these sort of things. Oh, Christians aren't out there adopting maybe as much as they should be. 
And so this post was trying to say, look, hey, this is inconsistent. Uh, you are pro-life when it comes to uh, abortion, the abortion debate. But once the person is born, then you could care less about them. And I think that this is very obviously wrong. Uh, you know, are there some people maybe that, you know, that are, are, are not thinking about this well and, and are inconsistent? Well, yeah, of course. But to label everyone uh, like that, you just can't do that. That's not fair. But what I want to say is, is that, got, that post got me thinking. And it really does raise the question is, is it possible to be pro-life when it comes to abortion uh, but also be maybe pro-death penalty or pro-war. And how and are these similar issues? Are they different? How can we think about this well? And But what it comes down to, and what I want to start with, is that it all comes down to the sanctity of life. That is what this comes down to. Now, I want to encourage you. I have a two-part podcast um, with Megan Alman of the Life Training Institute discussing uh, for about 45 minutes, making a case for life using the science of embryology and philosophy, and then about another 45 minutes going over objections that pro-choice people will present. And so there's a lot of great content there that you can listen to uh, and check out um, the Life Training Institute and, and all of their resources. But one thing that we talked about in that podcast was that most objections from the pro-life, or sorry, the pro-choice side are assuming that the unborn is not human. And that's why the question has to come back to, what is it? What is the unborn? And I saw a, a very interesting debate between Scott Klusendorf, who's the president of the Life Training Institute, and a lady who was a pro-choice, I believe a professor. And the, the, the lady went first, and she spent about 30 minutes going over every argument uh, as to why we should allow abortions. And when Scott Klusendorf got up, he went through it and he says, I agree with her on every single point. I agree that we should be able to do this, and we should be able to do that, and we should, and we should. And he goes, I agree with everything that she says if the unborn is not a valuable human being. And I think that that is such a great point, because if we are assuming that the unborn is uh, just a part of our body that we can discard like a fingernail or dead skin cells, then, yeah, sure, go for it. Kill it. You know, get rid of it. But if the unborn is a valuable human being, then no, we cannot kill it. Because taking the life of an innocent human being is morally wrong. And so what we have to come back to is, is this life sacred? And it comes back to that sanctity of life. Is this a valuable human being? And, and there's a couple ways that we can look at this. We first can take a biblical approach. Now, obviously, this is a making a case for if you are talking to other Christians. And we can look at verses like Psalm 149, uh, 139, 14 to 16, where it talks about David being created in the womb and references the secret place in the depths of the earth. And this is the womb where he was woven together, where God put him together, David. We can also look at Job 3.3, which talks about a boy that was conceived and it compares it to the day to which he was born. And, and at birth, he was a human being. And that is the same as the day that he was conceived. We can also look at 
you know, places like Jeremiah 1, 5, where, where God set Jeremiah apart as a prophet while still in the womb. And so this makes, this points to the fact that Jeremiah, while in the womb, was a prophet, was someone valuable enough that God set apart. And so I think that you look at these three examples, in short, from Scripture, that you see that David was a valuable human being, referenced by God, that this person in Job 3.3 was a valuable human being at the point of conception. Jeremiah 1.5 points to the fact that Jeremiah was a valuable human being at the point of conception. And so we can agree and look and see that it is at that point where the person becomes a valuable human being. It is not some arbitrary kind of point of, oh, when they have a feeling, when they have a heartbeat, and all these different ways in which people try and qualify it, or when they can live and survive on their own. And it's not, and, and it's not based on that functional value. It's not based on the value of it. when you can do this function, you are now valuable, but rather than who you are. Now, this kind of gets a little bit too philosophy. So first, there's kind of a, a short biblical case. I think that we can look at multiple scriptures that point to different people throughout the Bible that it made reference to that they were valuable human beings before their birth and even at the point of conception. Now, obviously, if the person that you are talking to is not a Christian, they're not going to accept some Bible verse, right? We have to realize, you know, in all my conversations with, you know, Mormons, and they just pull some verse out of the Book of Mormon, I'm not going to hold that as authority. Um, and so we have to recognize that even though the scripture in the Bible does have authority, not everyone is going to recognize it. And so we first have to get them to understand uh, what is the truth. Now, we can also do that from philosophy, right? And I just talked about this. I made reference to it of, of this idea of that value is either based on what we are or on what we are able to do. And this, I have a lot of discussions with my students, and, and we just talked about this when it comes to evolution. Because if evolution, if Darwinian evolution is true, that humans evolved from a common ancestor, then we are the same as other animals, that we are just another species. And so what that means is if we are the same as other animals, then our value should therefore also be the same. Now, we recognize that our value is different than that of animals. Now, obviously, some animals I think we value more than others. Right? A dog we see is more valuable than an ant. But if Darwinian evolution is true, then we are on the same level. We are just another animal. Now, what this does is one of two things. Either the value of human life drops to that of animals and our value then is dependent upon what we are able to do. Are we useful to society? If so, we are valuable. If we are not, then we aren't valuable and we can be discarded. And this is where we get this idea of eugenics and trying to breed this, this, this more higher advanced race through selective breeding and, and forced abortions or whatever it may be because we're trying to produce this higher human race that's either smarter, stronger, bigger, or whatever it is. We, we pick this quality, this characteristic, and say, if you have this, you are then more valuable. And if our value is dependent on what we do, then none of us are equal. Then you lose human equality and human rights, what everyone is fighting for. Because we're not the same intelligence. 
it, we're not the same size. We're not the same strength. We're not the same gender. We're not the same race. We're not the same anything, really. Unless you say we are the same in human beings, and it's because we are human beings, that is our value. And if that's where value comes from, then it's not a function. It's not a heartbeat. It's not uh, brainwaves. It's not these, sort of, these certain things. It's not feeling rather than it, it can come from the very point of conception where the science of embryology says that at the moment of conception that we are a distinct, whole human being that is living. And so that, I think, creates this, this value of life, the sanctity of life, that, that this human being, this living thing, this person is valuable. And so this leads us into all of these different uh, dilemmas that we have. You can look at, uh, for example, death, dying, and physician-assisted suicide. So if this person is a valuable human being, well, can we, can we kill them? Can we allow or participate in physician-assisted suicide? Now, I think that this can go to one of two ways. First... If Christianity is true, then we are not the owners of our body. That we right, we are created by God, and I am not the owner, so to speak, of 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 me. It is God, and so I. That is why we would say things like you know suicide are not okay because I I do not have the right even to take my own life, right? I belong to God, and so that's one of the things that we have to consider. And so when it comes to end-of-life issues, I think a big distinction that has to be made is, is it the medication that is killing the person or is it the disease? And one thing that, that you can look at is that our ability to control pain has become so good that when it comes to this argument of they are in so much pain, you might as well just kill them or kind of this mercy killing, allow them to die in peace. We're not at that point anymore. Uh, we are at the point where we are able to control that pain to allow someone to uh, die in peace um, without the medication killing them. It is still the disease. And in that sense, then I believe that that is morally acceptable. And we even talked about one scenario in our class where uh, you, I can actually, so to speak, um, give them enough painkillers where it kind of, so to speak, puts them to sleep. But it, it is still not the medication that is killing the person. It is the disease. And so I think that when it comes to end-of-life issues, it's important to make the distinction of what is it that is taking the life of this person. Is it the medication that we are giving them, or is it the disease? And if a disease takes the life of a person, then that is not a moral a morally wrong issue. However, if we are administering a drug that is taking the life of a person, then there is issue with that. Now, the other question that comes with end-of-life issues is what about like pulling the plug? And and some people, you know, might assume, oh man, if if my family member is on a feeding tube and I take the feeding tube, then I am starving them to death. And it can create this huge trauma and 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 just tearing the person apart inside. But we, again, what we have to think about and consider, and, and this decision is always going to be hard. I don't want to minimize how difficult the, this decision will be. But when we think about this carefully and understand that, that there's a difference between 
withholding treatment and then administering something that is going to do damage to this person. And so there, we have to see this distinction here and, and help think Christians think about this carefully. And that's one of the things that we talked about in, in, what, in our class discussion is, why isn't this stuff talked about in the church more? Why aren't we helping Christians think through these issues? My professor said that when he, when he goes to churches and talks, and he asked people, how many of you have had to personally make these very difficult decisions? Many hands will go up. And he said, how many of you felt that you were prepared with a theological kind of thought of how to make this decision well before you did it? And he said, most hands will then go down. And again, it's not something that I guess that we would expect to hear from the pulpit, but there has to be a way in order to help Christians to live the Christian life and think well about issues that we will face. You know, that's one reason why I do apologetics. But one, one thing that's hard is that so many people think, oh, I don't need it. Well, it's possible that you will never need it. It's possible that you don't need it now. Maybe you will in the future or it's possible you'll never need it, but a friend of yours will. And that's why I try to help people see that you may not need it right now, but it is important that you learn ans- these answers to questions, that you learn these ethical issues, so that one day, if something like this happens to you, you are more prepared to make a decision. Or when a friend comes to you in a place of trouble, you know how to give them wise counsel. And so I think it's so important to think through these. And Again, this is a, a brief introduction, and, and if anything that I'm saying raises a question, I, I really want to encourage you to to text in or email uh, your questions and, and so that we can do another show kind of going deeper. But another big, it, big, difficult decision is with married couples who are infertile. And how do we think about reproductive technology? How do we think about infertile fetalization and these sort of things well uh, with sperm donors and or egg donors and these sorts of things. And one thing, I guess, is a, a very short um, point that needs to be understood is that if we are going to go through a process like this, we should only fertilize uh, enough embryos that we are willing to have and we should only implant enough uh, the the number of embryos in which we're w- the woman is willing to carry to term. And so, in short, is is what we don't want to see happen is to fertilize five embryos. Uh, you implant two, you have two children. You say, "I'm good." Well, now you have three embryos, which are are valuable human beings that are left to possibly be discarded, and that's where we get into moral issues. And so, again, these are ways that we just, I think it's important to think about these things and how do we go about these processes in the right way. Um, I'm going to kind of skip ahead and, and we just have about a couple, two more minutes um, and just say one more thing. When it comes to, there's a lot of discussion with the morality of war and, and capital punishment and these sort of things. And I just want to say when it comes to the sanctity of life, um, not necessarily sharing my position on this issue, but I want to to 
help us think better for someone who might be on the other side in disagreement. The conversation that I had uh, about this meme that I saw on Facebook was saying, hey, if you are pro-life, you cannot be in favor of the death penalty. That that is not a Christian position. But I just want to say that as reading multiple sides, that it's possible that some people are so pro-life and hold such life at such a high value that they want the most extreme penalty enforced to hopefully uh, discourage people from going through with these acts that are evil and hurting the innocent life in which they value so highly. And so again, I want to provide ways of thinking about this. This is a very short introduction on these issues. Uh, But what I wanted to do is is to introduce these topics to you so that uh, the ones that you have questions about Uh, you can text in or email your questions. And so again, I just want to say that uh, hopefully in the future, in the coming months, I'll have Dr. Scott Ray uh, on the program discussing issues, whether it's uh, secularization of our culture, types of moral reasoning, abortion, stem cell research, assisted suicide, reproductive technology, biotechnology, genetics, capital punishment, morality of war, sexual ethics, uh, and the theology of work. If there's anything in there that interests you, Uh, Make sure you send in your questions. And I'm excited to be back uh, recording this podcast with all of you. And I'm looking forward to a wonderful 2017. So thank you all so much for listening. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. And I hope that this is a blessing and encouragement to you as well. God bless. You've been listening to Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Pauly. Won't hesitate to follow Your love will guide my way